Um, I'm Rashane Vijayatunga. I'm commissioning editor of um, our oncology portfolio at Future Medicine. Um, and I'm here with Dr. Matthew Ellis, who's the director of the Lester and Sue Smith Breast Centre at Baylor College of Medicine. And we're both here at the NCRI Cancer Conference 2017. Um, so, Dr. Ellis, what inspired you to study medicine and then move more specifically into medical oncology? Well, the first question is more difficult than the second question. <laughs> I mean, I knew I wanted to be a doctor from about the age of eight. Okay. And uh, I guess it was just an instinctive <laughs> desire to right. go into medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, becoming a medical oncologist was um, a bit more thoughtful, I guess. Yeah. Um, when I was doing internal medicine or, you know, uh, MRCP type training in, 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 in London hospitals in the 1980s, uh, two things struck me. One was the epidemic associated with HIV AIDS, which yeah. was a new thing then, yes. first diagnosed, and was a tragedy for young men. Sure. But also there was a slower burning but no less striking problem with young women dying of breast cancer. Yes. A lot of my friends went to, into HIV research, but I decided to go into breast cancer research, really in response to seeing so many women in the hospitals dying of metastatic disease. So that's kind of why I became a medical oncologist. Okay. Um, and then going on to your lab, it focuses on generating new and optimizing current treatment strategies for patients across the breast cancer spectrum. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about maybe one of the research projects that your lab is working on currently. Well, we do work on a variety of different things, sure. but yeah. something I've been working on for a long time is the cause of endocrine therapy resistance, right. which is, of course, you could argue easily is the majority cause of death yeah. from breast cancer. Patients have hormone receptor positive disease, get an appropriate endocrine agent, but it's not curative. Yep. And patients develop resistance. So we've recently been probing the cause of what we've, what many people call intrinsic endocrine therapy resistance. So in other words, right from the moment the tumor is diagnosed, mm -hmm. it actually, the endocrine drugs are not working very well. Sure. Uh, we diagnose this on the basis of measuring something very simple, the proliferation index, yep. the key 67 stain. So if you do that, a baseline, and then perhaps after two to four weeks or two or three months of endocrine therapy, and remeasure the key 67, about 20% of tumors have significant ongoing proliferation despite the very potent estrogen suppression associated with the aromatase inhibitor. So we've been probing the cause of that okay. and they've recently come up with a very uh, I think for some people surprising answer um, which involves mismatch repair complex sure. formation right. so uh, and this is published recently in Cancer Discovery uh, so the bottom line is that tumors that have a defect specifically in the mute L complex so what I'm talking about here is MLH1 PMS1 or PMS2 Specifically, mutations or underexpression in those genes is associated with this intrinsic endocrine therapy resistance. Yeah. And it appears to be related to the fact that those repair complex repair complexes signal to ATM. Yes. When they form, they activate ATM, which activates CHECK2, which checks CDK4-6. So if you can't form those complexes, then you've destroyed the mechanism yeah. whereby CDK4-6 is negatively regulated. So the consequences of that are 
it explains why pelvis cichlid works because you have lost the negative regulation on CDK46. Yeah. Okay. And it has a lot of implications because uh, obviously some patients develop breast cancer as a consequence of germline ATM mutation or yeah. germline check 2 mutation. And when patients develop breast cancers in those germline settings, they're almost always ER positive. Right. And this piece of research, having delineated this entire pathway, also suggests those patients won't get very successful chemo prevention with endocrine agents but those tumours may well be sensitive to palpable signal. So we're beginning to sort of unravel the relationships between DNA repair, palpable signal sensitivity, and therapy resistance in those studies. Okay. Um, and what impact will the integration of big data science, or omics, have on the future of breast cancer research? Well, it's absolutely everything. Until you do big data science and do... Uh, large-scale studies that allow you to see the patterns at the DNA, RNA, protein, phosphoprotein levels, we're never going to make a proper diagnosis for a patient. Yeah. Breast cancer, I would say, is one of the most complicated malignancies yeah. that we face as oncologists. We used to treat it as a monomorphic disease. Sure. You know, It's a proliferation of cells that occurs in the breast yeah. and then certain unfortunate individuals spreads around the body and they succumb to it. But that's just a description. That's yeah. a syndromic description yeah. of the problem. It doesn't say what is the actual cause of that cancer in that patient. Yeah. And to get to that answer, we have to use big data to find the different subsets. Um, and we're way beyond luminal A, luminal B, HER2 enriched, basal, claudine low at this point. Because even within all those subtypes, there are subtypes um, that are therapeutically important um, within those categories. And so we just have to keep driving hard and to get our funders to understand the biggest problem in breast cancer is making the correct diagnosis. Sure. Yeah. Which isn't, does she have breast cancer? But what, what? exactly type of breast cancer yeah. does she have? Or occasionally, he have. Because without that information, you'll never get to a cure, definitely. right? You don't understand what the tumor's about. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then you presented a lecture at this year's NCRI Cancer Conference on breast cancer genomics and the Clinical Proteomic Tumor Analysis Consortium. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little, bit, a little bit about the CPTAC? Well, we call it CPTAC. Okay. Uh, so it's interesting, the history behind CPTAC. So this is the third phase of funding. When it was first funded, it was in response to some controversial data about diagnosing ovarian cancer from the blood using mass spec proteomics. And they came up with some erroneous conclusions because they hadn't controlled pre-analytical variables and the reproducibility wasn't there. And so the NCI invested modestly in basically a sort of benchmarking process, trying to get mass spec based analysis um, to be a reasonably quantitative science, that's what I would say. Yeah. And then the second phase that um, I was involved in, I wasn't involved in the first phase, but the second phase, we took tumours that had been already genomically characterised at the DNA and RNA level by the TCGA and took another chunk of that tumour and analysed it using some new techniques in mass spectrometry and some new instruments. The technique we use is something called tandem mass tagging, which is a, an approach to getting um, mass spec to be more quantitative. And that, in combination with the better instrumentation, really gave us a, you know, some really nice papers on colorectal cancer, breast cancer, and ovarian cancer, which are out there for people to look at. They're really cool resources. Yeah. You know. 
because so many proteins you don't have a decent antibody to. But if you use mass spec peptide sequencing, you, you basically are doing an unbiased survey of the, of the proteome, and you can often see the proteins and the, the way they track with mutations or subtype in ways you couldn't with an antibody. So now in the third phase, it's expanded massively because of the excess of the second phase, and so we're doing a variety of different tumors that haven't been profiled yet. Uh, so, lung cancer in two different forms, squamous and adenoid, um, brain cancer, glio, glioblastoma, um, as well as endometrial cancer um, and kidney cancer uh, and, a, and leukemia, for example. So, all these, all these tumors are going to have this um, proteogenomic analysis where we analyze DNA, RNA, protein and phosphoprotein on a standardized format. And then finally, we're getting to the process of what we call microscaling. Because to do all these analyses uh, previously, we needed a piece of tumor about the size of a pound coin. Right. It's about 100 milligrams of tumor. Yeah. But in a drive towards microscaling, which is a combination of better informatics and a better instrumentation, we're cutting the amount of tissue we need by about 90%. Okay. So that's really cool because yeah. you can actually do a full proteogenomic profile whole genome sequencing, transcriptome, and then the proteome and the phosphoproteome on about 20 milligrams wet weight, which is about the size of a core needle biopsy, yeah. which is where you need to be to yeah, do translational definitely. medicine, as everybody yeah, knows. So, so I think that uh, uh, we're looking forward to generating some data in really you know, important clinical contexts, like neoadjuvant therapy of breast cancer yeah. and related a more sophisticated look at the tumour uh, with you know, drug response and resistance. Okay, and so to end with, I mean, we talked about the complexity of breast cancer, we talked about precision medicine, so obviously tailored therapeutic approaches will be the future of breast cancer therapy. And how, what sort of areas do you want to see change over the next five to ten years? A much bigger emphasis on precision diagnostics and not just at the DNA level. Uh, everyone's focusing on the DNA but the real issue is is that when I'm looking at you for example and you're looking at proteins functioning on a microsecond time scale the computer screen of life is composed of proteins so if you don't measure the output of the genome and yeah. the transcriptome at the protein level and probably more importantly the level of the post-translational modifications like phosphorylation we're never going to understand how these complicated cancer genomes execute the hallmarks of cancer. So I think, you know, to me, I wouldn't spend too much money on imaging. I mean, I would spend an awful lot of money on developing precision diagnostics that do that data integration and drive towards precision and drive towards uh, studies that demonstrate utility. Uh, So that's where we're coming from. Uh, And we'll see uh, how that goes. But I think, you know, People should realize that the instrumentation now uh, for doing proteomics Mm -hmm. is uh, really improved dramatically and and makes this kind of thing uh, really quite feasible, even for clinical diagnostics in my view. Okay, well thank you very much for speaking to us, Dr. Ellis. Really appreciate your time and um, all the best for the rest of the conference.